We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated over on Fan Nation. You know how we do out here. We are hitting on Oregon football, Oregon football recruiting all the time. But in this latest episode, coming at you live from Eugene, Wednesday, April 13th, we are going to be hitting on some of the recent updates that we've gotten out of Oregon spring football practice. The Ducks wrapped up their ninth of 15 spring practices on Tuesday. And joining me to break it all down here on the Ducks Dish podcast is Dylan Rubenking, a.k.a. Rube. He's a reporter for us at Ducks Digest, and we are so glad to have him. How are we doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing, I'm feeling a little bit nostalgic because it's, I just celebrated a year with Ducks Digest last week, and I got started right around this time, kind of right in the middle of spring and kind of doing the same stuff that I did when I started. Obviously, the podcast is is a cool element of it that I wasn't doing before, but like just hopping into the, the live, um, you know, the pressers and stuff and then writing stories about that. It's just kind of giving me that cool feeling again. What a what a great note to start things on. A happy one year anniversary to you, man. Uh, yeah, you're just super grateful to have you here on Ducks Digest. It's been great working with you. Um, and I mean, if you guys can only uh, you know know how many texts I've sent to Dylan at just like the eleventh hour, asking him to like write a story or do something for me. The dude's just an absolute rock star. So definitely have to give you uh, some some props for that, man. And it's just been great to see how you've grown. And you've you know taught me a whole lot about uh, just the whole digital media space and and football and certainly hoops. I think you're much more well versed on hoops than I am. But uh, yeah, it's it's great to have you here, man. Appreciate the kind of words. I'm I'm super excited to to still be here and um, you know head to Eugene next week for the for the spring game and some practices. It's been God so long since I've been in Eugene. It's October. That was the Cal game. So it has been a long, long time. Super excited to get back. Well, that's going to be a fun time, no doubt about it. But in the meantime, let's get into some new updates that we have out of spring practice. The first of which is the latest injury update on Oregon quarterback, cornerback Dante Manning. Uh, if you guys didn't catch this story over on Ducks Digest, we've been covering this one since the, the genesis of it, if you will, uh, on Saturday when Dante Manning got wheeled out of practice uh, on a wheelchair. Um when the ducks were holding their first spring scrimmage. And then after we had the press conferences, we, we later saw him walking past uh, the media in a, in a pretty heavy leg brace. 
Um, so that certainly was an, an encouraging sign, but we did get an update from Dan Lanning when we talked to him on Tuesday, as you would expect, coaches usually like to, to hold the injury updates pretty close to the vest. But, uh, but here's the, here's the quote that we have from Lanning right now. He has an injury going through recovery. We don't think it'll be a long, long term deal. So Dylan, I think that's certainly some, some positive news uh, on the injury front regarding Manning. Um, seems like it's still a little too early to, to tell too much about it on, on Saturday. We, we didn't get a lot of specifics, uh, from Lanning because he had just wrapped up practice. So you wouldn't expect a lot of information to be readily available, but it sounds like it's at least a little bit encouraging. Um, when, when you hear the words, not long-term. Yeah. And the wheelchair hearing that part kind of freaked me out a little bit. I think a lot of Ducks fans are a little worried about that, but the fact that he wasn't on crutches coming out was a really good sign just because, you know, with those lower leg ankle injuries, I'm not, you know, trying to speculate what exactly it was, but you know, foot ankle in that area, um, that sort of injury, it can be really tough to walk on that with such a heavy brace. Um, so the fact that he's walking on it and, and then you said uh, Tuesday he was out there stretching and, um, you know, doing some light warmups. That's a really good sign. So, um, yeah, of course, we're not going to know a, a whole lot about his injury. Um, you know, I, I feel like people are trying to test Dan Lanning, seeing what he's going to reveal when it comes to injury stuff. Um, thankfully, there's not a whole lot to ask about, um, you know, this time compared to last year. But, uh, you know, it sounds like it's progressing really well. I like that he's walking, obviously. Um, but, yeah, the long, the not long-term thing, that's a really good sign. That's probably the best news out of what we've heard so far. And we still don't have specific details as far as if it is, you know, a foot or ankle or higher on the leg. I mean, if you think about the term leg injury, it's pretty, it's pretty all encompassing. So maybe it's something like a knee. I don't want to speculate too much. Uh, hopefully we'll get those details and be able to share that with you, um, you know, as we work through spring ball right now. But uh, just, yeah, from, from what I saw uh, at practice on Tuesday, he was out there with the team Um and he was going through some of the, the warm-ups and, and putting weight on it and walking. It's not like he was going through drills and, and you know, doing cartwheels and all that jazz. But uh, but it, it did look like he was moving on it fairly well, uh, especially after what we saw when he first got injured. As far as, you know, when you see a wheelchair, you think it's something a, a little bit more significant than that. But as far as the, the rest of the summer, just ba- – sorry, the rest of the spring, rather, just based on the, the brace that I saw – uh, just to, to speculate and just kind of give my two cents. I, I don't think I would expect to see him in the spring game just after seeing that. And uh, I think I'm not sure how significant I would say it is because it is still so early in the spring, but with how young that room is, you really want to minimize in my opinion, how much time he's missing. I'm not saying rushing back, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, for something like a spring game, um, obviously it'll help the coaches. It'll help the the young guys out there you know, keep getting those 11 on 11 reps, those live game reps as best as you can in April. But at the same time, you don't want to risk it if he's already got, um, you know, if he's dinged up, um, you know, you don't want to risk re-injuring him in a game that ultimately doesn't matter um, win or loss. Um, so I, I really think it's probably for the best if, if they hold him, even if he's progressing, I still think it's probably for the best just because, you know, being in that, that heavy boot, I don't feel like they're going to, you know, you're going to see a real quick turnaround in the next 10 days. Um, you never know. I could be completely wrong. Maybe um, it, that's a completely precautionary thing. The size of the brace is um, just for protection and, and maybe he heals quickly and hopefully he does. But um, 
I, I'm almost excited. It's, it is kind of scary, but I am excited at the same time to see the guys behind him in the, in the cornerback room, just because we haven't seen a lot of them. Like Avante Dickerson, Darren Barkins are two really talented guys. Then you got Jello Florence. Um, this is a really Christian Gonzalez. Haven't seen in an Oregon uniform yet. So yeah, really new cornerback room. And um, there was a lot to, a lot to learn about it. Darren Barkins was the the guy that uh, stepped uh, stepped in uh, during Manning's absence and the portion of practice that that we saw at least running with uh, kind of that first group uh, of defenders. We can't really call it a first team right now, and, and Dan Lenning's been pretty adamant about that. We don't have like an official depth chart. We kind of just have the the green team and yellow team. So yeah, those guys that you mentioned, uh, Vontae Dickerson and Julio Florence, continue to get at work, and that's been the approach of a lot of these defensive backs throughout the spring. It's just working out a variety of positions and, and getting those reps because, like you said, a lot of those guys haven't. So we'll see how that brace is looking and, and any other updates we can, can possibly share when the Ducks return to the practice field on Thursday and keep you guys updated on the latest there on the injury front. But we also got one more other semi-significant piece of injury news, and that is the latest injury update on linebacker Justin Flo. Uh, a guy who a lot of people are hoping will be kind of one of the faces of this Oregon defense. He he most recently played in the Fresno State game and just had an absolutely monster performance. I think it was 14 tackles and a forced fumble. He was all over the field, but he's been limited all throughout spring. And he's been he wasn't wearing pads in the last practice that we had, and he was still in trainers uh, from what we saw. But we were asking Dan Lanning about the latest update there and, and if it looks like he might be able to play in, in the spring game because all eyes, Dylan, are obviously on that game next Saturday. And this is what Lanning had to say. Trending back, probably too early to say one way or the other if we'll see him out there for the spring game. But he's trending back. We're getting him in a little bit of drill work each day. So Still positive news on the injury front, but perhaps maybe even a little bit more encouraging than, than Manning, considering the, the recency of the two injuries. Yeah, Flo's been out there since the start of spring, like you said, with limitations. Um, you know, it's been nine months, I believe, since that injury uh, before the Ohio State game. Foot injury, pretty serious one. So um, I like that he's out there and he's practicing, getting some drill work in. And again, you don't want to rush that again because he's got, you know, multiple serious injuries that he's had in the last two years has only been able to play in front of Oregon fans, whether on TV or in person three times. You know, you think about the Stanford game, his freshman year, then the spring game and the Fresno state game last year. And that's all we've really seen of him. So um, again, it would be awesome to see him out there just because you're not going to find many more talented linebackers, um, not just on this team, not just in this conference, but in the country um, than Justin Flo. So if you can get back healthy, yeah, I think that brings a, a different level of energy and um, excitement to the Oregon defense for sure. Another guy that, that you really don't want to rush, perhaps even more so than, than Dante Manning, because we've, we've seen the the breakout potential with Justin Flo. And, you man, Oregon fans want to see him next to Noah Sewell so bad, and, and I'm right there with them. In the time since Flo has been limited in spring practice, we've seen Jeffrey Bossa get a lot of work. That's another dude who I'm super intrigued about because there was a little bit of a little bit of question as far as what his role would be moving forward after coming in as a safety and then the Ducks were depleted at linebacker. So he really kind of just slid into that role and, and made it his own. And it sounds like 
just based on how Dan Lanning likes to run his defense is that he's just the kind of guy that, that he's looking for at linebacker with that combination of speed and, and, and physicality. So we'll see if, if, if Flo can, can be in the spring game. Uh, personally, kind of a similar case with Manning. I don't, I don't think we're going to see him necessarily, uh, but with the depth that the Ducks have, particularly at the linebacker spot, not something that you'd be super worried about. Guys like Jackson LaDuke also getting some significant reps. Uh, he came back last season. He, he revealed to us in spring that he was battling COVID and he also was recovering from an injury. So he kind of had everything coming at him at once. Keith Brown, another guy that got some really significant reps last year. So with, with Justin Flo, you, you hope to see him back as soon as you can, but that's a guy you definitely want to be patient with. And unlike in the secondary, at least in my opinion, as it stands right now, I think you have the depth to, to be more cautious in your approach, not to say that they're not going to be with, with Manning, but obviously the linebackers are much more stacked than the, than the secondary right now. Absolutely. And then you have the potential of Harrison Taggart and Devin Jackson behind him as well, even after Keith Brown and Jackson, the Duke. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to, to see Keith Brown and, and Jackson, the Duke take another step because they were even limited last year as well. Really that entire linebacker group outside of um, Sewell and Bossa were really banged up last year. So those are a couple guys I'm really excited to see too. The, the spring game is just going to be really exciting to see, um, you know, what, what could have been last year, even just with all the guys that were injured, especially on defense, um, flying around out there and just, you know, being a part of this Dan Lanning, Tosh the Poi mishmash of, of defensive firepower. Like there's, there's so much to, um, you know, gleam from, from what we've heard so far about the defense and what it could look like. And there's so many guys that, you know, the previous staff recruited that are going to fit right in maybe even better than the previous staff. We'll keep you guys posted on all the latest updates around Justin Flo and other injury news over on Ducks Digest. And we will talk about more headlines from Oregon spring football practice right after the ad break. Stick around. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Ducks Dish podcast. We're rocking and rolling on a cold and rainy Eugene Wednesday. Uh, I might add that it has been raining, it has been hailing, and it was also sunny uh, at various parts of the day. But Dylan, we're going to dig into the biggest storyline, I would argue, in all of spring camp for Oregon, and that is the quarterback battle. People are are hoping to to get any little tidbits of information that they can 
on Oregon's three scholarship quarterbacks that are in the mix here. So we're going to update them on the latest that we're hearing out of spring football. And before we get into what we're seeing, Dylan, kind of just wanted to get your thoughts on maybe a little bit of a superlative. Just how important do you think this quarterback battle is for Oregon as we stand here in spring? Yeah, I mean, I feel like once you have your your quarterback situation figured out, I feel like the rest of the offense can really, um, you know, revolve around that. You know, it, it feels like the last two years you've known who the quarterback is, but you know that it could have been a little bit better in terms of the production and, you know, just the electricity of the offense. And it feels like once you have your guy at quarterback, um, you know, the, the run game will rally around and the, and the offensive line will, will do its job. Um, obviously it's not, it's not going to be decided at the end of spring. The quarterback battle is probably going to go up until fall camp, maybe right even before the Georgia game, I would imagine. Um, so it's going to be exciting. And the one thing that, um, you know, we, we've heard is that it really is an open competition and, you know, it's not just Bo Nix and Ty Thompson. I see, I can't tell you how many times on Instagram I see polls where it's like, who should win? And it's just those two Jay Butterfield's in there too. Don't forget about him. So um, three-way battle, really, really excited to, to see who, who comes through. Yeah. The, the quarterback position has been so integral for, for any team, but I think specifically in Oregon's case, because you've had some, some really high level players come through the program. You know, I can point to, to Marcus Mariota and uh, Vernon Adams, even though he was only here for a year. Uh, a lot of people want to speculate if he didn't get injured, just how far could Oregon have gone into the postseason. Um, especially after that that crazy game against Michigan State. And then Justin Herbert obviously had a tremendous amount of success here, but he was even kind of handcuffed offensively uh, just because of the, the play calling that we saw from Marcus Arroyo and just the system that was in place. But the past two years have left a lot to be desired at quarterback. And with the talent that the Ducks have accrued on the recruiting trail, particularly at the skill position, I th- and definitely the offensive line as well, it, it really just feels like that's the last position that you're – you're waiting for this offense to hit on. And I know that guys like Dante Thornton and Troy Franklin and Chris Hudson, Chase Coda, they're, they're super excited to, to be catching passes here in the spring. And Kenny Dillingham's vision for the offense is, is very, I would say, enticing, exciting for anyone that's catching a ball or, or getting a handoff uh, in this offense. So just to break down the, the latest that we're hearing on this quarterback battle uh, we got to see kind of our first dose of 11 on 11 not too long ago. That was something that I haven't gotten to see since I got to Eugene in July of 2020. Um, you know, there was a lot of stuff with with COVID that obviously made it hard to to go to practices since there were health protocols in place. But that was when I saw the 11 on 11 periods. I was I felt like I was in heaven. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've probably seen. Uh, you know, being this close to the game because during game on game days, we're all the way up in, in the press box. So you're, it's still sick, but you're not that close. So a lot of people were, were kind of surprised when, when they saw, and after that day of uh, 11 on 11, that Ty took the first reps uh, and then Bo followed him. And then Jay, I think is what it was on that first day. So naturally a lot of people were saying, Oh, Ty Thompson took, took reps over Bo Nix, uh, the first team reps and, and spring practice. Uh, but they, there was kind of a, um, you know, a mixed bag of results, if you will, um, because there was, I remember there was a, a touchdown pass to Sean Dollars, but then there was also a, a pass from Ty that got intercepted. So this is still very, very early on in this competition. And and I don't think, I think that people who aren't actually in the Oregon media, not to toot my own horn, but it, it tends to get blown out of proportion is what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like that story specifically that you said about Ty getting those first reps on that first day was 
everywhere. And yeah, it's, you know, from what we've heard from, from Dan Lanning, they're really just rotating guys. There's no sort of, Oh, this is the first team. This is the second team, the third team. Like they haven't figured really any of that stuff out yet. Um, you know, there's no organizational chart like um, like the last one did, uh, the last coaching staff did rather. So they're really just putting guys out there and getting guys comfortable with each other. Obviously, once we get closer to the end of spring game and or spring camp and closer to the spring game, you'll probably start seeing some more continuity there, um, as we've heard from from a couple position groups. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't think you're really gonna, you know, there's not a lot of substance to one guy getting reps over the other guy to start really any of the days just because they're just trying to get everybody the same amount of reps. So I think it's, it's good. It's better that way. They're not just handing the keys to a guy and giving him day one reps, um, you know, to start each day of practice. Um, you know, everybody, everybody deserves the same shot and they're definitely going forward with that mindset. Just because we don't have a, a ton of stuff to go off of in these quarter in the, the uh, 11 on 11 periods, as far as, we can't make too much of who gets the first team reps per se. I think what I'm looking for, Dylan, is the highlights. You know, what 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 sticks out when we do get to see these guys? You know, who who looks composed in the pocket? Who's maybe a little bit rattled? Who's rushing through things? Um, and I think just from the most recent thing that uh, practice that we saw, uh, just to kind of reset things a little bit, the most recent practice on Tuesday that we saw, it was a, a fastball period. That's the 11 on 11. Uh, is is called at these practices. Dan Lanning will grab the mic and then he'll say fastball, fastball, and then you can you know hear it ringing throughout. Uh, uh, usually the outdoor practice facility, but uh, since it's been rainy this week, we've been inside the Mashovsky Center. Uh, so the most recent order was Bo Nix, Jay Butterfield, and Ty Thompson. So um, again, to to glean what we can from the order, I think I think it's indicative of Jay Butterfield potentially having a a, a real shot at this quarterback job to see that he gets the, those, those second team reps because, and I say that because the third group that has tended to uh, mainly consist of, of walk-ons and maybe some reserve guys that we're not as familiar with. Um, but in, in the most recent batch that we saw, one of the highlights that I recall was it was a kind of a nice back shoulder pass from, from Bonex to Byron Carwell. And uh, that was exciting to see, especially because I, I want to see more from Byron Carwell catching the ball out of the backfield, not because he isn't capable of it, but just because when we did see him, he was mainly running the ball last year. So, um, you know, that's kind of what, what I have to to share as far as what we've seen on the practice field. I definitely want to pay more attention to those guys tomorrow, um, but but fun to get a little bit of a, a glimpse into the Oregon offense that we haven't gotten in the past and some highlights here and there. Yeah, I think the highlights are going to be, you know, the thing I'm, I'm excited to hear about. It seems like every day that you, you know, we've talked to Dan Lanning, it sounds like you hear the word, they made explosive plays on offense. I don't think there's been a day that y'all have talked to, to Dan Lanning where he hasn't said that. Um, and obviously he'll follow it up by saying there's there's certainly room for improvement and all that kind of stuff, you know, um, trying to trying to keep the playing field level there. But um, I really think that it's kind of the opposite where we're at now with, with Oregon's personnel on offense in terms of the quarterback versus the receivers. Cause when there was Mariota and Herbert, you know, obviously a legendary quarterbacks with the program, but the receiving core didn't, wasn't stacked with these, you know, four-star five-star guys who were NFL caliber, really. Um, I mean, you had a couple guys here and there, but um, now you have quarterbacks that can really lead this program that are really capable of, um, you know, taking over this offense. And now you're also compliment them with, with extremely talented guys at receiver, not just at the very top, but, you know, throughout the entire depth chart. And then you add guys like Chase Coda, 
the running backs, it sounds like they're really getting better at, at catching out of the backfield. Um, and then you have the tight ends, too, who are all insanely talented and are going to be more involved in the passing game as well. So it feels like in terms of the offensive personnel and the potential, it feels like this could be as complete of an offense head to toe as we've seen in a long time. And it's interesting that you say that because there was so much attrition and so many departures from last year's squad, uh, just to get people up to speed, you know, Micah Pittman obviously hit the portal and then Johnny Johnson goes to the NFL draft, Jalen red exhausts his eligibility. And then Devin Williams also goes to the NFL draft. So this is still a really young wide receiver core, but it does have that talent that I think uh, we haven't really seen in a while uh, at Oregon and, and hope they're hoping for that opportunity to get utilized. We're, uh, we're humming right along here on the Dutch Dish podcast, and we want to get into our last topic of the day, which is Carlos Lachlan and the Oregon running backs. We got to hear from Carlos Lachlan uh, the first time that the reporters got to kind of meet him and talk with him since he took the job at Oregon coming over from Western Kentucky. And we also got to talk to Byron Carwell, who is the, as weird as it is to say, the most experienced back for Oregon, at least, you know, taking carries at Oregon as a duck. No, Whittington comes over from Western Kentucky and the ducks also have Sean dollars. So before we talk about some of these guys, Dylan, I just got to say, I I love talking to Carlos Lachlan. I mean, I, I posted that video the other day when he was talking about just, how passionate he is about football. And then I think what's really struck a lot of fans and definitely stuck with me is just how he's trying to kind of have a nod to, to the history of, of Oregon football and just, you know, respect to the greats that have come before him, whether it be Gary Campbell or awesome running backs like DeAnthony Thomas, Lil Michael James, Kenyon Barner. He, he talked about how that, how those guys are the standard and that's ultimately what he's holding himself to and what he's chasing. Yeah, that was awesome to hear just because, you know, obviously I don't think the the running back group has really taken a step down too far from that standard. CJ Verdell and Travis Dye, I think, did a really good job of of holding that. Obviously, they're two of the five leading rushers in program history. Um, but the fact that he's looking back on the alumni and seeing where the success is, because Gary Campbell was a coach for 30 plus years, I think starting from the 80s to 2016, long, long time. He was the longest tenured, you know, assistant coach in the FBS when he, when he ended up leaving in 2016. So tons of experience. He's coached so many incredible players. There's nobody in this program um, that is better for Carlos Lachlan to learn from uh, at his position now than, than Gary Campbell. And, you know, now there's, there's so much potential for guys like Byron Cardwell and Sean Dollars and uh, Noah Whittington, especially with Whittington, you know, having that experience with, with Lachlan and now Whittington can share that with, Byron Cardwell and Sean Dollar is just what his what he called military style type of coaching is uh, where he said, I'm not going to use profanity at him, but I'll get into you a little bit. Um, yeah, I loved everything that he said. His passion just burst through um, like that was the most evident passion that I've seen from a coach is not saying that any of them didn't have passion because they all do in their own ways. But Carlos Lachlan, you could just see it in his eyes. That man loves what he does. And I, he loves his players and he loves football. And it's just it's so awesome that, you know, I feel like he's kind of the new Aaron Feld in terms of the energy. Like, it, it seems like he's the guy that's going to keep that going a little bit. He just has such a great story. Uh, I don't want to reiterate too much of it, but I didn't even know. And this is probably on me for not doing some more research on the guy, but that he had he had a background uh, in, in law enforcement. He said that he, he was a, an undrafted free agent with the Giants. 
and then he got hurt. So he ended up playing some arena football. And then after that, he, he had uh, various jobs. Like he was a correctional officer. He was a police officer. Uh, and then he also said they did some special detail work with the government. So like this guy just has a super diverse background. And then he was also talking about just the, the drive that he's carrying himself with saying, quote, I still work like I'm the guy who's showing up at Memphis every day, sleeping in my car, changing in the bathroom in hopes of just getting a locker and another shirt. So he's made it to, I don't want to say the pinnacle of the sport because a lot of people view that as the NFL and rightly so, but just because of the previous programs that he's worked at, Florida State was obviously a pretty historic one for him to have the shot to, to coach these Oregon backs that are super talented, but largely unproven and oozing with potential. It really feels like he's the, the right guy to, to take this room uh, a step forward um, just because of the, the way he's, he's mentioned that he's approaching it and the guys that he has to work with. Well, he would definitely tell you that too, just because, you know, I remember him saying that, you know, every day I'm going to, I'm going to go into this job thinking that I'm the best developer of this job. And he's like, other guys will say it and I know they're wrong. I'm the, I'm the best developer of it. And I'm not going to lie when Oregon first hired him and I was looking at his resume coming from Western Kentucky, such an air raid, you know, pass heavy emphasis on the heavy offense. Um, I was really interested in, in, you know, just what that, was going to be like for him in that transition, just going from such a, you know, uh, lopsided offensive scheme to something that's going to be more balanced. It sounds like with Oregon. And, um, you know, I, I feel like the personnel is going to be just as good as he's had at Memphis. You know, he's coached guys like Antonio Gibson, who's, you know, balling out with the Washington commanders. Now got to watch myself, um, but he's, he's done such a phenomenal job with recruiting. He's done a phenomenal job, just getting the most out of his guys particularly Sean Dollars. We talked about that a little bit on the site. I wrote about how he's starting to stand out, emerge in spring. Coaches won't tell you, you know, this guy's standing out already. Like we're only nine practices in, but you know, when you ask him about Sean Dollars and you ask Dan Landing about Sean Dollars, everybody, there's a different energy around the player that he is. And I feel like that's credit to Carlos Lachlan and the energy that he's putting into these guys. We've already talked a, a pretty heavy amount about Byron Carwell. The last thing that I just wanted to say about him was that, I mean, just, just the physicality, even though we were inside yesterday, I felt like our access was better just in terms of the proximity to the guys. And, and I heard firsthand, you know, Lachlan getting into Carbwell uh, and some of these other backs. So that kind of got me fired up, but I saw Carbwell just truck through a guy. So you love to see the, the physicality, but let's talk about dollars a little bit and Whittington. Cause they're kind of the guys that we don't know as much about. Um, I feel like Noah Whittington has a little bit of a slighter frame, uh, but he's, he's really well built. And I think that the way that he's getting described, you know, very explosive runs really hard plays with a different type of effort. You can coach the details with a guy like him. That's what Dan Lanning was saying. Carlos Lachlan saying he's extremely talented. And then I saw him make a really nice cut yesterday to, to miss a defender. So I'm excited to see, see what Whittington can do, especially because he's a later addition. But the fact that he has that familiarity with Coach Lachlan, much like Christian Gonzalez has with Demetrius Martin, I think things like that kind of give me some confidence that this is going to be a smoother transition than, than you would maybe expect at other schools because there's kind of some of these crossover guys, if you can call them that. Yeah, absolutely. I think Whittington was such an interesting um, addition for Oregon. You know, I, I think we talked about it a little bit um, during – right before the spring and like around national signing day, like we thought Oregon really needed a veteran running back in that room. 
Um, and Noah Whittington provides that. And yeah, you said he's a smaller frame, but you look at his numbers, they're not pedestrian by any means. And I did obviously say it's a pass heavy offense, but the average 6.1 yards a carry, you got 101 touches, um, you know, 617 yards, two touchdowns. Um, and yeah, he's got a good amount more than, than any other running back, um, you know, at Oregon on the rest of the room. At Western Kentucky, obviously, Byron Cardwell's got the most out of any return. But Sean Dollars is such an X factor, I think, because we've seen him in special teams. We've seen him kind of late in games early in his career. And then the Pac-12 championship, he comes in and it's like he's part of the rotation. You know, I was at that game and I was like, whoa, where where'd this come from? Um, you know, he had, I think, eight carries and he's running, running really hard. Looked like he had, hadn't missed a beat. And that's what Byron Cardwell just said on Tuesday, that you watch him out there. It looks like he didn't even hurt his knee, um, which is, you know, when you look at a running back suffering a serious knee injury that held him out from, I think it was last spring, uh, and we never saw him last year. Um, you know, and the fact that he's looking like nothing ever happened, that's a really good sign. And it seems like he's on a mission to, you know, prove everybody wrong. No doubt about it. It's, it's, you can see the excitement, why people have excitement about this running back room, despite all the youth. Um, I think that, Carlos Lawson kind of summed it up. He was saying all three together will have something special with those three. So, you know, we're going to have our eye close or have a close eye on those running backs and what Carlos Lachlan can do working with Kenny Dillingham and the rest of the Oregon offensive staff. A uh, bit of a quicker episode today, Dylan, but I think we got some awesome stuff uh, that we hit on, got some injury updates, the quarterback battle, and uh, what we, the up, some updates we got after talking to some people yesterday. But before we get out of here, Dylan, where uh, you know how this goes, where can people find more of you? You can follow me on Twitter at DRK Sports News. I have been getting a lot of new Oregon followers recently. So if anybody's coming from the podcast and following me and, and sharing my work, I really appreciate that. It's been popping off more than more than I can remember. So um, I love reaching out to the Oregon community and, and giving them the content that, that they want. Right on, right on. Make sure you guys tap in with Dylan. He's doing a lot of awesome stuff with us at Ducks Digest here on the podcast, as well as the Transfer Portal. Uh, if you guys want to find more of me, you can find me on Twitter at Sports. You can also follow the Ducks Dish podcast on Twitter at Ducks Dish. If you guys are looking for more Oregon Ducks content, make sure you head on over to DucksDigest.com. That's the Sports Illustrated site for uh, all your Oregon Ducks coverage. And then you can also tap in with us on Ducks Digest forums, trying to, to build that lately. Uh, sharing this on the screen here, if you're watching us over on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus, just trying to, to connect with you guys a little bit more, see what's on your mind as Oregon fans. Uh, I also put out a recent tweet lately asking for uh, mailbag submissions for an upcoming episode of the Ducks Digest podcast. So uh, I'll go ahead and, and retweet that again. But uh, if you guys have questions, you can email them to me ducksdishpodcast at gmail.com or go ahead and reply and quote tweet that most recent tweet that I mentioned. But that's all we have for you guys on this episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. Thank you for tuning in and supporting wherever you're tuned in. And we will catch you guys in the next episode. Take care.